Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled, this podcast is for you, for everybody who's got a pulse, and I think that's you if you're listening, so come on, Jesus. Today, I'm really blessed. We've got a unique and special episode for you. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Carla Melgar and Father Bob Conroy. Carla Melgar serves in the Archdiocese. We are in the Office of Evangelization together, and she serves as liaison to the Hispanic community, in addition to just being an amazing human being. Carla, am I missing anything? No, you're not. (laughs) Come on, come on. And Father Bob Conroy is Vicar General of the Missionaries of Charity, which is one of the five branches of the, what is it, of charity? The communities that were founded uh, by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Is there a is there a larger what's the umbrella order called? Um, missionaries of Charity. Mother Teresa founded five different children, so oh, wow. to speak: active sisters, active brothers, contemplative sisters, contemplative brothers, and priests. Okay. And there's a number of lay groups that are affiliated with us also. So you are the Vicar General of the, the MC Fathers. Okay, right. so the Missionaries of Charity Fathers. Yes. That's wonderful. You said Mother Teresa. You kind of like know her, don't you? Uh, well, I had the blessing to be able to meet her a number of times and mm. speak with her. And uh, being a missionary of charity, we had uh, numerous opportunities. But also when I was a student for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Rome, I discovered that uh, my apostolate, which was helping the sisters of Mother Teresa, the missionaries of charity, um, we had the advantage of the fact that Mother Teresa would pass through Rome anytime she went west. Right. She was going to Eastern Europe. She was going to South America or Africa, the United States. She would always stop in Rome, and that's where I was. So nice. I had many, many experiences with her. That's amazing. Carla, what's Father Bob doing here? Well, uh, Father Bob is doing here a mission Lent um, for... um, He's doing a mission Lent this year for us here in the Archdiocese. I have the privilege to know Father Bob since, I will say, what, 2000... 2010. 2010, around uh, that time. So Father Bob was the pastor at Holy Cross Parish. And I was working at that time at Holy Cross. I was a member at Holy Cross on that time. So I was privileged to know him and have, you know, start having that relationship with him. And one of my bigger dreams, it was for him to come back to Kansas and do some reflections for our communities. English and Spanish, sure. so that way we can reach out more people and have the blessing to um, learn from all his experiences with Mother Teresa and his spirituality, too. Of course. Yeah, so, so very yeah, so, blessed to have him here. Yes, and amen. So Father Bob's in town giving some retreats. He's given some reflections all over Kansas City. This is coming out way after this. It's probably going to be far into Easter time when this episode debuts might even be past Pentecost I don't know but yeah on behalf of the church here in Kansas City Father Bob thank you for mm-hmm. for coming on down so yes. um, so Father Bob tell us about where you're at right now where are you stationed what's your what's your mission right now right now I live in Tijuana Mexico on the border of San Diego uh, right maybe as the crow flies uh, one mile away from the border itself 
and uh, we have a pastoral center there. We were founded in Tijuana at the invitation of the bishop back in the 19, late 1980s and uh, intentionally placed near the central bus station. Mm. And as you know, over the years, Tijuana has become like a laboratory of human uh, migration and uh, human mobility issues, human trafficking, all kinds of things are going on there. And uh, surprise, at least for me, surprisingly, the last years it's become even more intense. Mm. So more and more people are arriving in Tijuana. And uh, we have a pastoral center there. We house around 15 to 20 men from the street who are in recovery, mostly from drugs and alcohol, but there are other issues that they're working on. They live with us. We also have a church. We have perpetual adoration. We celebrate mass. We're not a parish, but we are a sanctuary. We call it the shrine of Mother Teresa mm. because she came there a number of times okay. to Tijuana. And uh, our aim is to serve the poor in that area. Mm. Amen. Uh, and what are some of the what are some of the beautiful fruits that you've seen from those labors there? Uh, well, there's many fruits. Uh, one I was thinking of uh, sharing on the the mission that I'm doing this week is of one couple uh, named uh, Lupita and Lorenzo. They're a husband and wife that we found, I guess now around 12 years ago, on the street living under a bridge in Tijuana. And Lupita has some neurological problems that are basically the consequence of using drugs for many years. But they're both very beautiful people, and we had the grace to be able to help them leave that uh, primitive home that was under the bridge. She had a baby, a small girl, and uh, over the years we've grown in a very deep relationship with them. They live with us in this pastoral center that we have because we have people who live with us from the street. And uh, one thing that's really that really struck me because I've worked in different places. I was in Guatemala for a number of years, and then recently I was in Mexico City in our community for the last like six years. So it's only one year now that I'm in Tijuana um, after many years. But that Lupita and Lorenzo have continued with us, and uh, they have this little ministry in which they greet people who come onto our property. Yeah. It's fairly large, and they're close to the gate. And Lupita and Lorenzo, they don't just say hello, or they don't just uh, shake hands or something like that. They tell their story. And then also we have these little... Uh, holy cards that are basically a message of Mother Teresa that's put in common language so people can understand it. And they evangelize through this message. Mm. And for me, what was surprising when I came back a year ago is that people are coming now, not just because it's the shrine of Mother Teresa, they want to see Lupita and Lorenzo and they want them to pray with them. Mm. That for me was a, a, a perfect example of at least what we're trying to do there, right? I yeah. mean, is that the poor become intentional disciples. Right. And that's the aim. And here's a perfect example with whatever physical, neurological, uh, psychological difficulties. Lorenzo's in a wheelchair. Lupita has her own struggles. She pushes him around. People are coming because their prayers are powerful, the prayers of the poor. Wow. I think that brings a lot of joy to Mother Teresa in heaven, I hope. That's fantastic. 
I think the, that the witnesses that they have for other people, that's what it grabbed the attention for others. And I think that is so important now that a lot of people are craving to see the witnesses and uh, definitely to see it in action, how you incarnate, how do you have the gospel in your heart and you put it in action and live it. Um, no, no matter how beautiful, you know, all the or doctrines or all the teachings of the church are, but if we don't put it in action, I mean, yeah. it, I think it's dead. So when you see those people like Lupita and Lorenzo, mm -hmm. definitely you see God's presence and you yeah. want to be like them. You want to be around them. So mm -hmm. that's very beautiful. Yeah, these teachings and, and doctrines and uh, precepts of the church are dead if they're not incarnated. Incarnated, yeah, that's in the word. In our Thank life, you. Yeah. in our ministries, in our families, in our homes, yes. in our communities. Yes and amen. Yes. Um, and I, I just want to say there's something, I've seen this too. I mean, I haven't had nearly the amount of experience in walking with and accompanying of the poor uh, but those times that I have had the privilege of of doing so, maybe like intentionally, just in depth, um, like in, in Guatemala, in Honduras, in in these Central American locations, I've been to just this the purity of love of those who are poor is so intense, and I just they're able to love more purely. I don't know what to say. It's just it's beyond me. So, well, I think there's they have less distractions. Mm. Because poverty enables you, like in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor, that you have that proximity of access. Yeah. And that's why Mother Teresa, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, was misunderstood for many years because people looked at her as a great humanitarian. And if we're talking about beauty and the nature of beauty aesthetics, that there's a beauty when people... You don't have to have any faith, per se, but you see someone helping someone else. So when she won the Nobel Prize in 1979, they mentioned that she was a great humanitarian. And, uh, I mean, well, to be honest, also, they, all, they mentioned that she was a religious sister, but she didn't receive that award because she was a nun. Right. Mm -hmm. She received it because of her humanitarian outreach to the poorest of the poor. But in reality, what they missed was the fact that she would never have been able to leave that convent of Loretto in 1948 and walk into the slums of Motijil, which was the poor area right next to her convent, if, if she wasn't able in her own heart to experience that desire of seeking Christ's face in the poor. Yeah. And that's what she revealed to us, is that Jesus crucified uh, is calling us to seek out his wounded rejected face in the poorest of the poor. Jesus in the Eucharist, Jesus in the poor, she would say, well, it's the same Jesus. Okay, they're under different theological forms. But for her, our adoration every day enables us, really pushes us out to go and search and to yeah. find his mm -hmm. face in the poor. But if you don't have adoration, if you don't have prayer, yeah. then you're not going to find him. Right. And that's what she said is the danger. Then you're doing it for something, like a salary instead of doing it for someone, which is Jesus. Yeah, that's wonderful. You mentioned the Eucharist, and I was just wanting to know, like, what, what, Father Bob, what's your story of falling in love with Jesus in the Eucharist? I guess I, I, I would say that really Mother Teresa helped me to understand this connection because I had this desire to serve the poor, and I was already, I mean, from childhood, really, it was there, but... 
as a seminarian uh, wondering how as a priest, because I felt that call to be a priest, I also felt called to serve the poor, how those go together. Um, and so I could look for ministry or apostolates where I would be put in contact with the poor or the poorest of the poor. But when I discovered the Missionaries of Charity in Rome when I was a student, and I would go there to work in their home for the poor, or they also have Carlo Catano in Rome, which is for, it's like a night shelter for men. But I used to go to San Gregorio, which is basically like a nursing home facility for the poor. But the sisters would say, well, uh, why don't you come earlier and then you can join us in adoration and then we'll go and do our apostolate. And I said, wow, adoration, that was something new to me mm. because this was the, the desolate wasteland of the 80s and there was not a lot of perpetual adoration. Yeah. In fact, I, never, I didn't even know what that was, wow. really. So you're a, you're a graduate seminarian in Rome doing, uh, what, what is it, the post, the post studies or what were the... Yeah. Right, I was uh, studying with the Jesuits at the Gregorian doing theology. Okay. And uh, just a few years from ordination. Okay, so for your STL, your... This was the STB. Okay. That's where they start in the Roman system. Uh, and then the fourth year, you start the STL and okay. or whatever sure. you want to go on. So, yeah, I was at that level of theology. And the one great thing is at the Gregorian University, we had only one exam at the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. So you were responsible for all the material of the semester, the classes, the readings, and everything else. But you didn't have to do papers. There were no pop quizzes. Sure. But if you flunked that exam, you flunked the course. Yeah. Well, there are some people who have a propensity, let's say, <laughs> for, you know, of a good short-term memory. <laughs> and so I happen to be in that category of excellent short-term memory. So I could memorize things very quickly at the end. And that left me a good part of the semester to work in San Gregorio. Mm. And they gave me all kinds of activities. But there I discovered, whoa, but first it's better to go to adoration because yeah. then I felt differently. I felt like something had changed. The other thing was the chapel of the sisters in San Gregorio was the former chicken coop to the Camaldolese monks who were there because when Mother Teresa was looking for a place, Paul VI, put her in contact with these Camaldolese monks. It's right up from the Colosseum. It would be like just northeast of the, Cir the Circo Maximo, you know, yeah. the mm -hmm. great circus and all yeah. the movies. Yeah. And Cecil B. DeMille, all those things, yeah. it has that idea. They're just right there. Mm. And in fact, uh, it used to be a Benedictine monastery. St. Gregory the Great, father of the church, from those steps sent St. Augustine to mm. England right, back in the day. And the Camaldolese, uh, I guess, through Paul the, St. Paul VI's uh, intervention, offered the sisters uh, part of their monastery. Well, when the sisters showed up, I guess, I don't know what they were thinking, you know, uh, sure. rooms and uh, refectory and that kind of thing, like everywhere else in Rome. And there it is, the chicken coop. So I guess the idea of the monks was, well, you can build what you need. <laughs> but being the missionaries of charity, they modified the chicken coops, and it still looks the same today. Oh, wow. You feel like you're in a chicken coop. So in that, what would you say, contrasting building to the 
the great palazzos of Rome, yeah. right? Of all, every religious house has some massive building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, where I would even feel comfortable in the conditions that I was living there. Right. But then you go to San Gregorio. So you're, the sisters are having adoration and living in this very simple, under these simple conditions, then giving themselves wholeheartedly to these street people that they pulled in that nobody else wants. Mm. And then going back to that chicken coop afterwards mm. to continue whatever. So those two extremes of that radical poverty combined with that radical service yeah. and connecting the Eucharist to that, suddenly it, for me it was like in relief. Ah, right. this is it. And yeah. in the 80s, Mother Teresa was a very, well, she and Pope St. John Paul II yeah. were like the two strongest yes. figures yeah. for the church. And it was a time of real desolation. Like when I grew up in CCD, there were no text. There's no catechism. Catechism yeah. didn't come out till the 90s. Yeah. So it, for me, I didn't have any formation. Even as a seminarian, I was a few years from ordination. I didn't know what adoration was. Right. I didn't uh, know basic prayers. Even the, the Apostles' Creed, things like that. Sure. We never, no one ever, I, I thought, okay, now I'm going to the seminary. This is where I'm going to learn all of those things. Right. But no, mm -hmm. Mother Teresa was the one who connected popular devotion, the Eucharist, the poor, and then theology. Suddenly it became important mm -hmm. because before that I'd been wandering around in theology, all kinds of different things. Right. And as far as Hinduism and Buddhism and, and shamanism and all different kinds of things, I was starting to get this sort of what I believe was a synthetic vision of how it's all combined sure. and it's all the same. Because no one ever explained to me what the Eucharist is, right. what's its importance, until Mother Teresa made that link between the Eucharist and the poor, and then a light went on, and I felt like, oh, now I understand. Wow. What role do you think uh, adoration um, and, and the Eucharist had, what, what role do you think the Eucharist and adoration has for the church today? Uh, for those who maybe aren't in the chicken coops of the world? Uh, we can't breathe. We can't live. How can we, how can we manage one day without the Eucharist? Mm. It's impossible. Yeah. It's that life link uh, to everything that we're going to do in the day. And if we're not Eucharistically oriented, I think it was Pope John Paul II when he went to Brazil it, it, the, to a, there was a Eucharistic Congress, I think it was in the late 70s. He had this great line about how uh, we adore Jesus, and then the Eucharist sends us out in search mm. of the, those who are in need, right? And that's exactly Mother Teresa's idea, which yeah. is you encounter Jesus and the poor to the poor. He sends you out to the poor, and you bring the poor to the Eucharist for their own encounter. Right. And then we go back. So it's a cycle of that we keep going out and bringing them, welcoming them, making them feel uh, that their poverty is not an obstacle. On the right. contrary, right, right, right. it's an anointing. There might be an opportunity to to speak into real quick. Just can you can you tell me more about like the the, the poverty that you're referring to and how like even though there are folks around us who aren't necessarily immediately accessibly just like the poorest of the poor, but they are, there are here, but like the spiritual poor, like in speaking to that a little bit, sure, but anybody. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Lee, in my experience, and I'm gonna let uh, Father Bob to 
talk about his experience too. But like you were saying, you, we probably are not too close to the parts of the poor, like a father in his experience. But right. definitely I have been, you know, seeing around or um, communities in here, yeah. a lot of loneliness. Yeah. And that is the spirituality, you know, uh, sadness and suffering that the people has around, especially after COVID, I will mm-hmm. say. And that is around us all the time. So I'm mean, able to encounter people in different communities and their experiences, the suffering that they are having right now, you mm-hmm. know, with um, maybe they lost uh, someone during the COVID or because we were confined long time. Right. It, it didn't work for us to be in contact with other people and help us to be um, more insulated. So all those kind of things is being hurting people. And that's how I see it now, the poverty that uh, is creating a lot of problems here mm. and um, how we can reach out those. I think that is, I see it as a, our mission here in Kansas, right. especially how we, the people who work for the church, um, can reach out others in this um loneliness that they have yeah and to me it's like a related like father was saying i mean our churches needs to be more hospitable mm-hmm. and needs to be more welcome uh we need to be more in touch with people i know that you know for uh, many months they were saying no to shake hands when we give the sign of the peace sure. during mass but we need to come back to that touch and just you know having conversation with people again and be more intentional to come back to those uh, small things because definitely uh, those small things make a big difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the Eucharist, I kind of reflecting on what you just shared, Carlos, mm-hmm. how the Eucharist is not just this cathartic, spiritual thumbs up gift <laughs> from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here you go. Thanks for coming to church, kind of thing, as if it's some type of like token for being Catholic or being in the church. Right. But the Eucharist is the source and the gifting for a purpose. And that purpose is the mission of the church, which is to go out and to share the goodness, Mm -hmm. this truth and this beauty with the world, not just the world at large, but with the world in your spheres of influence. Mm -hmm. Like if we're not doing that, then our, yeah, we have to really ask ourselves like how alive is our faith truly? Yes. You know, I feel like uh, we have a great opportunity as a church with the movement that is going around in the United States for uh, the Eucharist revival. Mm-hmm. I think we have a great opportunity to catechize others, to form others, um, the people to reach out and help them to understand uh, what it that mean to be, you know, receiving Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Because sometimes what it happened, they receive it as a, in a sacramental way only. Mm-hmm. And they don't pay attention to what they are receiving. So uh, I think it is a great opportunity now in these three years that we have that yeah. to be more in touch with people and to accompany them and to provide those encounters like adoration that Father was saying. That is so important to be in the presence of uh, the Blessed Sacrament, to let them... Um, speak with God, you know, yeah. and in their own way, so God uh, will be revealed so many graces for them. Yeah. Amen. What advice would you give to anybody out there who's looking to serve the poor? Let me first um, put it in a, di- a little bit different theological, anthropological Please. perspective. Uh, I use, I like to use Mother Teresa's, uh, she had interior visions, which are different than apparitions. 
they're more of what would you say a confirmation in the faith interiorly so it's not like saint bernadette where she saw right. mary in a grotto mother teresa had interior visions intellectual visions where she had uh, these powerful supernatural mystical experiences and one of the most striking for us that's a little bit iconic in terms of um uh, what would you say our charism as religious uh, is this that she saw jesus crucified so this is the context of good friday afternoon jesus on the cross below the cross is mary mother of jesus and then she saw herself instead of john she takes the place of john as a child she doesn't have a religious habit on she's mm. just a small child small girl and she's in the embrace of mary and so it's mary who is as in our in our interpretation um, mary is orienting her towards jesus because mm. mary will always lead us to jesus so you can see jesus crucified and that's really significant in terms of the crucifixion because the the last supper is consummated on calvary and so calvary is the unbloody sacrifice which is the fullness of grace the door of our salvation everyone is there and what's beautiful in that vision she sees herself as a child okay and that represents all those childlike virtues before jesus on calvary in the arms of our lady innocence purity littleness simplicity spontaneity all those childlike virtues that we need to get into the kingdom but then what's unique about her vision is that the poor are gathered around the cross. I mean, not just the poor, but the poorest of the poor there and all of humanity, because all of us are the poorest of the poor in terms of our need for God. And some people have greater need and some people have lesser need, but we're all the same in the fact that our hearts are wounded and we need God's grace to be healed. So the beauty of Mother Teresa's vision is that it's for all of us. And the poor in the vision are looking at her instead of Jesus because they don't know him. They don't want him. So they're looking to her. And that's the reminder. I mean, she's the witness in that particular vision. Right. But it's also you, it's Carla, it's me, that Jesus tells her, you be my light and shine that light onto those who don't know me. So in our culture, which is filled with darkness and despair and anxiety, needs that light of Christ. And we're the ones, we're the instruments. And it's not based on our perfection, thankfully. Praise the Lord. It's based on our littleness, right? And that availability to God. And that's one thing that's striking about both St. Teresa of Calcutta and St. John Paul II, is essentially they disappeared. And God was able to use them, even in their old age and their weakness and Parkinson's and everything else, they became even stronger witnesses. So that's a great lesson for us. It's not my strength, it's not my intelligence, it's not my gifts, that it's my being stripped down and humble and my brokenness, simplicity, my poverty, my exposed heart to Jesus crucified in the Eucharist and the poor. He needs my vulnerability. He doesn't need my strength. Right. And everyone's vulnerable, so everyone can help. Come on. I love what you said about those pillars of the charism that you that you walk in. Like the the your charism is childlikeness. Uh, it's please go through those again because that was that just right. really got me. So that the she sees herself as a child, and we see that as being Saint Therese of Little Flowers, Saint sure. Therese of Lisieux. 
because they are sisters of the Spirit. Right. But more than just a devotion, we look at St. Therese as like a ladder that leads us to Calvary. Mm. She's the one who shows us how, because in the vocabulary of Mother Teresa and in Little Flower, they both speak about a victim, victim of love. Mm. Okay, so it's a vic we're victims of love because we're small. And what he's asking for is love, not yeah. strength. And that's where uh, Little Flower uh, talks about John of the Cross, amor con amor se paga, love is repaid with by love. And he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and Mary is there to place me before him. Mm -hmm. And for us, that Marian link is critical, and this is what I was missing in my own formation, right. is Our Lady. I didn't know who she was. I didn't even really know how to pray the whole rosary by myself. Right. So Mary is the one who always leads us to Jesus. Mother looks, Mother Teresa looks at Mary as a means. It, because when you remember uh, in John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, is really the context for our charism. That's mm, the Marian yeah. perspective yeah. because John's the only first person witness of the crucifixion. Right. The synoptics, none of them were there. Yeah. It's only John. Okay, so uh, Mother, Mother Teresa takes his place, and Mary leads us there. St. Peter is not there. St. James didn't make it. None of the other apostles. Only John, the beloved, the child, because he goes with Mary. Mm -hmm. that's, our, that's Mother Teresa's that's idea. So when in that situation, then, as you're a child and you let Mary take you to Jesus on the cross, that's when he says, John 19, 28, I thirst. Mm -hmm. And for her, the interpretation of that thirst is, um, in the Augustinian mode, the burning love of God that will not wait. That's why it's thirsting. It's burning. Mm -hmm. When you're thirsting for water, that's all you can think about. Yeah. That's how his love is for you. For your addiction, your humiliation, your brokenness, your loss of a job, yeah. The divorce, your whatever it is, right? Your baggage. Exactly. Yeah. That's what he's thirsting for, not your strength. He's yeah. not looking for your perfection. Yeah. So when we look at the spiritual life as if we have to climb this mountain of perfection and I'm never going to be perfect, yeah. then why not just give up? Yeah. Why not just run away? So the beauty of her charism is that this is for the poor. And to the degree in humility, I recognize that I'm poor and vulnerable, it works. Yeah. But to the degree that I don't, then I'm going to run away. Right. I'm going to hide in the upper room, under the bed, under a blanket, wherever I'm going to be. Sure. But the child, no, because the child remains with Mary, and Mary shows us Jesus. Then Jesus says, okay, whatever you did to one of those least ones, this yeah. is what the genius of Mother Teresa, she links John 19, 28, when he says, I thirst, immediately with Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did to one of these least ones, you did it to me. And in her mystical graces, she says, now, together with Mary, when he says, I thirst, we raise our chalice yeah. to give him to drink of our poverty, our service, not work, service of love. Right. And that's where we can go out and look for him in the streets and find him. Yeah. That's a, it's when incredible. Yeah, when yes. we're serving like that, in that way, everything just makes sense. And I think that's what, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that's the connection that took place for you in adoration, in the chicken coop, on the streets of Rome, in the nursing homes. Um, 
That's amazing. I, I want to ask both of you, what advice would you give to our brothers and sisters out there today who are on the fence about the Eucharist? Like, who maybe don't totally believe, aren't totally sold on this whole Eucharist thing, because a lot of folks who are listening to this might be on the fence themselves, and we welcome you. A lot of folks listening right now might also be looking for the right words to speak to those in their spheres of influence about this. Any advice that you'd share? Um, it's a journey of faith, right? Faith seeking further understanding. That's what St. Anselm says. And I think for us, the, the danger is for us to look at the church as an institution, mm. as a big building that's only open on Sunday mornings or something, or the place I have to go when someone I know is in the hospital, or maybe I need to arrange a funeral or a baptism. It's uh, whenever I drive by, I just see the doors close. It's uninviting. Mm -hmm. And what does the Eucharist mean? Uh, I see this tabernacle, this box in the sanctuary, the red light next to it. I think it, it's better for us to try and envision it in terms of the Last Supper and the crucifixion united in the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. He's giving us the greatest gift that we could possibly ever receive himself. Right. right. And what is he demanding of me? Everything. Nothing less. Not 60%. You know, it's not just a check. It's not watching TV, flipping through the channels and saying, wow, isn't that terrible? Those children are malnourished in Haiti. No, turn the channel. I'll send a check. What's that address? Mm -hmm. Take a picture of it. Yeah, that's it. It's 100%. That's the thing. Um, for Mother Teresa, she was inspired by God to strip her life down to nothing more than love for God. Yeah. That's the Eucharist. He's giving all, even his own body, blood, soul, and divinity, the risen Lord. That's yeah. the dogmatic understanding of it. it. What he's saying is, I'm giving all. Look at his arms outstretched for you on the cross. And he's looking at you. He's looking at you like he looked at Levi, Matthew, in his conversion. Right in the Greek, in the past tense, when you, you see that word look, it actually means like study, contemplate. He knew him. Mm -hmm. So when he says, follow me, he just gets up and walks because that, that look, you cannot not respond. Sure, That's the look of the Eucharist. It's not a piece of bread. It's Jesus. You can say, well, yeah, okay, but your faith is different than mine. All right, well walk it through the New Testament, right? And look and think about the fact that the Catholic Mass was being celebrated before the canon of the New Testament was published. Yeah. And sometimes people would say, hey, well, why is it that the words of institution aren't exactly the same as they are in the New Testament? You see, that's a sign that Catholics are always going the wrong way. And I say, well, I'm sorry, it, the missile actually appeared before the New Testament was published. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so Jesus is looking at you through the celebration of the Mass, that presence in Eucharistic adoration, and he sees your soul, your heart. Don't worry about your head, right? Yeah. That's the danger. Yeah. And that's the, bringing the enlightenment back, right? Uh, truth, goodness, beauty. The beauty of the Eucharist is... I have to close my physical eyes so my spiritual eyes can be opened. And that's where I'm going to see Jesus. You see, Mother Teresa's effect was lifting up that person from the gutter filled with worms 
because her eyes had been transformed. Mm -hmm. And when people saw that, like me, I saw pictures of it, I said, that's incredible. That's beauty. That's transcendent. That's why those theological transcendentals are what they are, truth, goodness, and beauty, because they bring God's presence directly yeah. into the world. They need no communication. Exactly. Yeah. It's God himself. Yeah. He is truth. He is beauty. So Mother Teresa holding a person full of worms, instead of looking yeah. away, you're saying, why is that attractive? I don't understand. They get hundreds of volunteers in Calcutta mm. to come and help the missionaries of charity in their works. Why? I mean, some of them are Buddhists, some are non-believers, some are making a journey back to the church because it's attractive helping someone else, recognizing in that person that that's a human person right. and they have dignity and they deserve respect. So I'm bringing them, in a sense, to the Eucharist yeah. because he's the one who sent me. I don't know what to do with this person, but he's going to tell me. Yeah. So without the Eucharist... We're dead. We have nothing. We're yeah. empty. Yeah. It's the life of the world. Right. Amen. Yes. I will say um, for those who doesn't believe or don't understand yet um, the beauty of the Eucharist, uh, I just will say, you know, open your heart and mind. And the Eucharist can be only understanding when you bring it into your prayer. I mean, ask the Lord, have that little conversation. It doesn't have to be. Uh, very specific, but just have an honest conversation. And if you don't understand, if you don't believe, tell him, you know, say, yes. I don't understand you. I don't believe. I don't know what did that mean to have you in the Eucharist. I don't get it. Be honest with him because he really know you hard. And if you send those questions to him, he will give you the answers. Yes. He definitely will put it and he will give you the opportunity to experience what it that mean to have Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So yeah. he will reveal but just be honest and have those questions. Be um, courage to do those questions, yes. and he will reveal it. Yes, and amen. Mm -hmm. Throw the gauntlet with the Lord because he'll always show up yes. and answer your questions. That's for sure. That's I for have two questions for Father, yes, if you please. don't mind. So one is, uh, Father Bob, what you see as the work of the church is serving others today in the United States? What or how? Uh, How do you see that the church is serving now uh, the people here in the United States? It's hard to answer that question because I haven't lived in the U.S. for so long. But, uh, I mean, you see it from outside. <laughs> you know enough, Father. You were yeah. raised in Minnesota, right? <laughs> yeah, Minnesota, Kansas, uh, Texas. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, for me, I remember uh, when I went to the archdiocese, when I decided that I was going to leave the Archdiocese, my studies, and sure. join the Missionaries of Charity. Our, uh, bishop Forrest, he used to be an auxiliary bishop here, uh, he asked to speak to me, so we went out to eat, and he said, um, you want to live a simple life? We need priests to live a simple life. You want to serve the poor? We have many poor parishes. He says, I don't understand why you have to leave. He says, that's exactly what we want. And I said, uh, right. I mean, but th this is not a feeling from me. It's not just uh, some kind of uh, yeah. of a goal or something that I found in the gospel. It's a calling. It's a vocation. And uh, the, the United States has a great advantage of material well-being. But with that advantage comes a tremendous spiritual responsibility because 
for me, let's say my conversion, when I was a child, we were living on the border of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. Mm -hmm. My father was in the military. And as a child, I'm looking at, at one point on that Highway 10 or whatever it is, there is, we're talking just a few feet of difference between the Rio Grande, you have a shanty town south of the border, and then you have suburban El Paso on the north. Mm. Uh, and as an eight-year-old, I'm looking, how does that work? I mean, a line in the sand determines whether or not you have medical care. A line in the sand determines your future, your education. I didn't understand it. And yeah. that's where I felt like, okay, God is saying, do something. You have to do something. Yeah. But why, what can I do? Priest, missionary, serve the poor. That, I think, God is calling Americans to a special mission because of the blessings that we have received. I mean, in some cases, uh, people preach a prosperity gospel, yeah. almost as if we deserve it because we've been good, or we go to church on Sunday, or we read our Bible, or because I'm, you know, doing to others, I'm not hurting anybody, so we deserve all of this wealth. But what if this blessing was actually uh, uh, supposed to be a channel to help other people who are struggling, yeah. who are being kidnapped unjustly? Uh, in the area I live in Tijuana, Los Arenales, these two uh, areas, neighborhoods, let's call them, are there are two gangs that are basically uh, fighting a war between each other. And the body tolls are just going up week by week as they kill each other. They wow. kill one, they kill two, they kill three. It just goes back and forth. Um, why do children have to live in that environment? Is it because they deserve it? Because they're lazy? They don't want to get a good job? They don't uh, want to study and advance and get ahead? Uh, we look in some cases from the United States, I mean, uh, more inwardly than outwardly. Yeah. So I think God is has blessed like Overland Park, Johnson County, um, because He's thinking not just of Johnson County. Yeah. He's thinking of all those Anuim. And so the trend, the what would you say? The challenge for Johnson County is how can we use what we have for the sake of the gospel, right? And to help others, because it's not just for us. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yes. And I think that is coming to my other question that I have, that is a, how each of us can be a missionary disciple in our spheres of influences here. That's yeah. a question to That's me. A question. Yeah, well, it's personal conversion. I had to walk a long journey and uh, through a lot of different things. In the Mass this morning, it struck me, that uh, right before Mass, I was reflecting on how when I was around 13, I received a personal Bible as a gift. Until then, I, I mostly used the family Bibles, but right. I had a personal Bible. And I really had a, the thirst, like a desire to know the Word of God. But I could not understand the Old Testament. And I felt frustrated. Sure. And uh, But that frustration kick-started a journey to understand the Word of God. Well, I mean, I didn't get the answer the next year. It took like 20 years or something. But honestly, for me, the Old Testament came into clarity once I understood the fathers of the church. And you take someone like Henri de Lubac, 
scripture and tradition is the little virgin. Medieval exegesis is the large version of yeah. his work, uh, two or three volumes. Looking at Jesus through the Old Testament as a foreshadowing, as a preparation for the new, like St. Right. Jerome, the New Testament is hidden in the old. Suddenly I felt like, wow, now that desire I had as a young person, mm -hmm. here it is. I had to go on this journey. I had to look. I had to study. I had right. to read. I had to ask questions. But all of us have that thirst for God. Yeah. We might not be aware of it, but God is calling us to himself. And each one of us has received a mission. That's why I exist. Yeah. And when that mission is completed, my life is ended. It's not based simply on my cholesterol level or my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. It's according to the mission that he's entrusted to me. So how long am I going to live? I don't know. What's your mission? Right. Tell me about that. What do you mean my mission? Okay, yeah. there it is. You have to discover what that is. Right. You have to go looking. You know, it's crazy. I... Um... I don't know, let's just be, let's be generous and say, I want to live another 50 years, okay? I've got 18,250 days. That's it. No less, no more. Being generous, that gets me to like, whatever. I'm dating myself, but, uh, you know, 70 <laughs> or 80, 80 years old. So it's just like, that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, those who are listening right now, what are you going to do with your time, with your days? What can you give? That is the question of, I mean, of, of the disciples. Like, what can you give? Yeah, and also you can turn it around and yeah. say, why has God created you? Mm -hmm. Because we can suffer, you know, t terrible wounds in our life. Sure. And working with the poor, we see violence and abuse and all kinds of things. But the question is really, in, in, in its simplest form, why am I here? Why did God create me? And that's the journey that you have to make to discover that mission, that he has created you intentionally. doesn't matter what your suffering is, what you've experienced, yeah. um, but he has something special for you that only you can complete, and no one else can do that. You can say, wow, what a way St. Saint Therese of the little flower of Lisieux died at 24. Yeah, but she finished her mission. Mm -hmm. So it's not determined uh, by... You know, I can try to postpone it sure. and do all kinds of things. Or we had four of our sisters who were martyred um, in Yemen some years yeah. ago. They were, in the funny thing, that the comments that came out afterwards, because some sisters saw the bodies, they said they had their aprons on. And what that means is that they were just going around in the morning doing their house cleaning. They mm. were washing the elderly people wow. in the home. They, that means they said their prayers. They had breakfast. Now they're doing their house cleaning and their daily timetable. Yeah. They were just doing ordinary activities. And that's when the Lord decided that's the end of their life. They died with their aprons on. They weren't mm. in the chapel or something. But that tells you, right? They were, they were uh, dying, doing their mission. Exactly. Sweeping the floor. Mm -hmm. What is yeah. your mission? So you have to ask the Lord. And don't be afraid to ask him because he'll answer you. Yeah. The problem isn't that God is not going to speak to you because people say, why is it that he doesn't answer me? That's not the problem. It's that we don't know how to listen. Listening is a gift. It's an anointing. Like Hans Urs von Balthasar said, God spoke only one word, and that's enough. Yeah. The logos. That word is every word. And we have to learn how to listen. That might mean I have to turn off the music 
I have to go to a quiet space, I have to go to a church, or I have to go to my room, close the door, yeah. and listen from my heart. Mm -hmm. That's the apparatus of prayer, not my cell phone. Right. You know, and listen, but also, you know, I think it's uh, a lot of a uh, scary part because you know that you have to give an answer to, right? After you listen and you have it, <laughs> how, yeah. how is going to be the answer that I need to respond to God right, now right. that I know what he's asking yeah, me, yeah, right? Exactly. So That's it's like, a, it's a lot of, um, you know, yeah, people well, are afraid for that and yeah. say, okay, I know that I can listen, but I don't know if I'm going to like it what I'm listening, right? But That's I need incredible. to give an answer. Right. Be careful what you pray for because yeah. you just might get it, folks. Um, yeah. Right, but that's way. the that's the beautiful but that's, part. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what part. it is. Because he's going to is. speak. He's yeah. going to speak. And, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So be ready for an answer. Yeah. Be ready for an answer and be courageous to yeah. take it. <laughs> yeah, I just want to encourage yeah. everybody out there who's uh, a little ADD, like yours truly, um, maybe sitting still in a quiet place isn't the best thing for you to hear the Lord, like the Lord's voice. Okay, maybe you need to just leave your phone in your house or whatever and go for a walk in your apartment. Just go for a walk. And yeah, we're coming out of winter here. It's probably going to be late spring by the, the time this comes out. Just like put it away. Just go outside. Just walk around your house. Maybe not actually around your house, but walk around the block, you know, <laughs> once or twice or something and just let him talk to you. Uh, but And just getting in front of the Lord in the Eucharist is invaluable because he is physically present there in such a unique and powerful way that he will speak volumes to you if you open your heart and just let him and ask him direct questions because he will respond directly uh, to and you. And that's the thing. Don't be afraid because whatever he reveals to you means that he's also going to give you the grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I never saw myself leaving my own country to be a missionary. I never really, in terms of my the things that I desire, yeah. that was never on the list. Right. Or even living in a community. Right. God will give you the grace to do what you need to do. So don't be afraid. Sure. Yes. And whatever you ask for, he's going to hear you. There's absolutely no doubt that he hears you. The Sometimes we feel like, well, but the answer, right. Well, the answer, I can't tailor it to my own needs. Mm -hmm. exactly. He's going to answer it according to his my will. capacity and, and his, will. his will, his holy will. And then I have to pray for the grace to be able to put that into practice. Right. But he will answer and he will give you the grace that you need. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Peter, come out of the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, put one foot out. You're just kind of testing the water. What's the temperature? Right, right. Is there a life? Is there a life jacket I can put on before I go <laughs> oh, out? Man. He's standing on top of the water and he's looking at Jesus. Okay, everything's all right until that point. Then he starts to pay attention to the wind and mm -hmm. the white caps, and he says, "Well, how can I be on the water?" Then he sinks. Yeah. Okay, he will let you walk on the water. Doesn't matter your financial situation. Yeah your educational background, your mental, physical capacity, none of that matters to him. Yeah. He doesn't care. Yeah. What he wants is your heart, and everybody has a heart. Yeah. Yes. So last last that. I checked. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> last I checked, that's so true. And I love that story because St. Peter, it's not just a story, it actually happened in St. Peter. He's the one who prompted the Lord. He said, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat to come to you. He knew what he was asking for. He's like, if this is you, Lord, Come on, he might just tell you to get out of the boat too. And Peter's a great example because he runs away. Yeah. And uh, even at when he's called by Jesus to the Sea of Galilee, he doesn't give a full answer. Jesus saying, "Do you love me?" 
You know, and in Greek, the interplay yeah. is back and forth with these words. Jesus is saying, do you love me with that supernatural agape, that transformational yeah. love? And Peter says, yes, of course, Lord. Yeah, I love yeah. you like a brother. Yeah. He says, Wait, that's not what I asked. Do you love me with that love? You know, that intentional disciple, you're ready to go to death. Yeah. And exactly, Lord, I love you like a brother. And then Jesus says, okay, so we love each other like brothers. Okay, that's great. Right. Well, Peter, finally, in the circus of Nero in Rome, yeah. I'm not worthy to be crucified like he was. Put me upside down. Yeah. That's it, right? God gives him the grace. But he's patient with Peter. Yeah. He could have rejected him. Wait a minute. I chose you as my vicar. Where were you at the cross? Right. Now, all right, so you have to go through this process yeah. of purification. But he persevered. Yeah. God does not throw us away yeah. because we make mistakes. That's good news for me because I make yeah. a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. yes. Welcome to the club. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, any other closing thoughts you'd love to share? No, I just uh, want to thank you, Father Bob, for taking the time to come to Kansas City and to share your wisdom and your spirituality with all of us. I we greatly appreciate it, and thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe one sentence in Spanish for anybody listening. That's... Of course, please. Mm -hmm. Entonces, queremos invitarles a ustedes, uh, los del mundo hispano, también pensar en el mensaje en que hemos discutido en esta temporada, que Jesús crucificado, Jesús en la Eucaristía, está esperándote. La Virgen es de nuestra madre, te va a guiar. Tenemos que llegar a ser hijos pequeños insignificantes para poder encontrar Jesús, pero no puedo hacerlo por mi cuenta. El Señor me ha enviado una madre celestial para ayudarme en caminar hacia la cruz en Calvario. Jesús eucarístico es Jesús crucificado y nos envía a los más pequeños, los más necesitados del mundo para consolarlos. El mensaje también es para ustedes que no tengan temor de salir sí. así para buscar a los demás. Así es. Así es. Amén. Sí, amén. Amén. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Carla. I just want to say it's such a joy to work with you. You're awesome, and your you. your joy is uh, is such an example for me. So thank you for the joy with which you work and with the the love that you love um, our people and your people and this 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 people in Kansas City. So just thank you for your witness to love. And Father Bob, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for your thank vocation. You. Thank, thank you, you for your yes to the Lord for your little way. And thank you for teaching me about uh, how to get in the chicken coop. And Amen. Not be afraid God of bless it. you. So, thank you, Lee. Father, would you be so kind as to close us with a blessing? Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this chance to talk about your love. We are so grateful that you have sent us your son Jesus into the world to convince us that you are love and that we are not lost. Pray for all of those who are listening that they might experience that same love that we have experienced in this day, that Mary, our mother, might take us all as children to the cross and show us the face of Jesus that is longing for each one of us. We ask God's blessing upon each one of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been New Manna. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.